Master Humphrey's Clock, Section 7. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. Master Humphrey's Clock, Chapter 5. Mr. Weller's Watch. It seems that the housekeeper and the two Mr. Wellers were no sooner left together on the occasion of their first becoming acquainted than the housekeeper called to her assistance Mr. Slithers, the barber, who had been lurking in the kitchen in expectation of her summons, and with many smiles and much sweetness introduced him as one who would assist her in the respectable office of entertaining her distinguished visitors. "'Indeed,' said she, "'without Mr. Slithers I should have been placed in quite an awkward situation.' "'There is no call for any hawkardness, mum,' said Mr. Weller, with the utmost politeness. "'No call whatsoever. A lady,' added the old gentleman, looking about him with the air of one who establishes an incontrovertible position, "'a lady can't be hawkered. Nature has otherwise provided.' The housekeeper inclined her head and smiled yet more sweetly. The barber, who had been fluttering about Mr. Weller and Sam, in a state of great anxiety to improve their acquaintance, rubbed his hands and cried, "'Hear, hear! Very true, sir!' Whereupon Sam turned about and steadily regarded him for some seconds in silence. "'I never knew,' said Sam, fixing his eyes in a remunerative manner upon the blushing barber, "'I never knew but one of your trade, but he was worth a dozen, and was indeed devoted to his calling.' "'Was he in the easy-shaving way, sir?' inquired Mr. Slithers, "'or in the cutting and curling line?' "'Both,' replied Sam. "'Easy-shaving was his nature, and cutting and curling was his pride and glory. "'His whole delight was in his trade. "'He spent all his money in beers, and ran in debt for him besides. "'And there they was a-growling away down in the front cellar all day long, and ineffectually gnashing their teeth, vow the grease of their relations and friends was being retailed in gallipots in the shop above, and the first-floor window was ornamented with their heads, not to speak of the dreadful aggravation it must have been to him to see a man always a-walking up and down the pavement outside with the portrait of a bear in his last agonies, and underneath in large letters, another fine animal was slaughtered yesterday at Jenkinson's. Howsoever, there they was, and there Jenkinson was, till he was took very ill with some inner disorder, lost the use of his legs, and was confined to his bed, for he laid a very long time, but such was his pride in his profession, even then, that whenever he was worse than usual, the doctor used to go downstairs and say, Jenkinson's very low this morning, we must give the bears a stir. And sure as ever they stirred him up a bit and made him roll, Jenkinson opens his eyes as if he was ever so bad, calls out, there's the bears, and rewives again. "'Astonishing!' cried the barber. "'Not a bit,' said Sam. "'Human nature neat as imported. "'One day the doctor happened to say, "'I shall look in as usual to-morrow morning. "'Jenkinson catches hold of his hand and says, "'Doctor,' he says, "'will you grant me one favour? "'I will,' Jenkinson says the doctor. "'Then, doctor,' says Jenkinson, "'will you come unshaved and let me shave you?' "'I will,' says the doctor. "'God bless you,' says Jenkinson. "'Next day the doctor came, and after he'd been shaved all skilful and regular, he says, "'Jenkinson, he says, it's very plain this does you good. "'Now,' he says, "'I've got a coachman as has got a beard that it'd warm your heart to work on, "'and though the footman,' he says, "'hasn't got much of a beard, still he's a-trying it on with a pair of whiskers "'to that extent that raises his Christian charity.' 
"'If they take it in turns to mind the carriage when it's a-waitin' below,' he says, "'what's to hinder you from operatin' on both of them every day as well as upon me? "'You've got six children,' he says, "'what's to hinder you from shavin' all their heads and keepin' em shaved? "'You've got two assistants in the shop downstairs, "'what's to hinder you from cuttin' and curlin' them as often as you like? "'Do this,' he says, "'and you're a man again.' Jenkinson squeezed the doctor's hand and begun that weary day. He kept his tools upon the bed, and whenever he felt hisself getting worse, he turned to with one of the children who was a-runnin' about the house with heads like clean Dutch cheeses, and shaved them again. One day the lawyer came to make his will. All the time he was a-takin' it down, Jenkinson was secretly a-clippin' away at his hair with a large pair of scissors. "'What's that air snippin' noise?' says the lawyer every now and then. "'It's like a man havin' his hair cut.' "'It is worry like a man havin' his hair cut,' says poor Jenkinson, hidin' the scissors and lookin' quite innocent. "'By the time the lawyer found it out, he was very nearly bald. Jenkinson was kept alive in this vey for a long time. But at last one day he has in all the children, one after another, shaves each on em very clean, and gives em one kiss on the crown of the head. Then he has in the two assistants, and after cutting and curling of em in the first style of elegance, says he should like to hear the voice of the greasiest bear, which request is immediately complied with. Then he says he feels very happy in his mind, and wishes to be left alone. And then he dies, previously cutting his own hair, and making one flat curl in the very middle of his forehead. This anecdote produced an extraordinary effect, not only upon Mr. Slithers, but upon the housekeeper too, who evinced so much anxiety to please and be pleased, that Mr. Weller, with a manner betoking some alarm, conveyed a whispered inquiry to his son whether he had gone too fur. "'What do you mean by too fur?' demanded Sam. "'In that air little compliment respectin' the want of hawkardness in ladies, Sammy,' replied his father. "'You don't think she's fallen in love with you in consequence of that, do you?' said Sam. "'More unlikelier things have come to pass, my boy,' replied Mr. Weller, in a hoarse whisper. "'I'm always afeard of inadwertent captivation, Sammy. If I'd knowed how to make myself ugly or unpleasant, I'd do it, Samuel, rather than live in this here state of perpetual terror.' Mr. Weller had, at that time, no further opportunity of dwelling upon the apprehensions which beset his mind, for the immediate occasion of his fears proceeded to lead the way downstairs, apologizing as they went for conducting him into the kitchen, which apartment, however, she was induced to proffer for his accommodation in preference to her own little room, the rather as it afforded greater facilities for smoking, and was immediately adjoining the ale-cellar. The preparations which were already made sufficiently proved that these were not mere words, of course, for on the deal-table were a sturdy ale-jug and glasses, flanked with clean pipes and a plentiful supply of tobacco for the old gentleman and his son, while on a dresser hard by was goodly store of cold meat and other eatables. At sight of these arrangements Mr. Weller was at first distracted between his love of joviality and his doubts whether they were not to be considered as so many evidences of captivation having already taken place. But he soon yielded to his natural impulse, and took his seat at the table with a very jolly countenance. "'As to imbibing any of this here flagrant veed, mum, in the presence of a lady,' said Mr. Weller, taking up a pipe and laying it down again, "'it couldn't be.' Samuel, total abstinence, if you please. But I like it, of all things, said the housekeeper. No, rejoined Mr. Weller, shaking his head, no. 
"'Upon my word I do,' said the housekeeper. "'Mr. Slithers knows I do.' Mr. Weller coughed, and, notwithstanding the barber's confirmation of the statement, said no again, but more feebly than before. The housekeeper lighted a piece of paper, and insisted on applying it to the bowl of the pipe with her own fair hands. Mr. Weller resisted. The housekeeper cried that her fingers would be burnt. Mr. Weller gave way. The pipe was ignited, and Mr. Weller drew a long puff of smoke, and, detecting himself in the very act of smiling on the housekeeper, put a sudden constraint upon his countenance, and looked sternly at the candle with a determination not to captivate himself or encourage thoughts of captivation in others. From this iron frame of mind he was roused by the voice of his son. "'I don't think,' said Sam, who was smoking with great composure and enjoyment, "'that if the lady was agreeable, it'd be very far out of the way for us four to make up a cob of our own like the governess does upstairs, and let him,' Sam pointed with the stem of his pipe towards the parent, "'be the president.' The housekeeper affably declared that it was the very thing she had been thinking of. The barber said the same. Mr. Weller said nothing, but he laid down his pipe as if in a fit of inspiration, and performed the following manoeuvres. Unbuttoning the three lower buttons of his waistcoat, and pausing for a moment to enjoy the easy flow of breath consequent upon this process, he laid violent hands upon his watch-chain and slowly and with extreme difficulty drew from his fob an immense double-cased silver watch which brought the lining of the pocket with it and was not to be disentangled but by great exertions and an amazing redness of face having fairly gutted out at last he detached the outer case and wound it up with a key of corresponding magnitude then put the case on again and having applied the watch to his ear to ascertain that it was still going gave it some half-dozen hard knocks on the table to improve its performance that said mr weller laying it on the table with its face upwards is the title and emblem o this here society Sammy reached them two stalls this fave for the wakened chairs. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Weller's watch is found up and now a-going. Order! By way of enforcing this proclamation, Mr. Weller, using the watch after the manner of a president's hammer, and remarking with great pride that nothing hurt it, and that falls and concussions of all kinds materially enhanced the excellence of the works, and assisted the regulator, knocked the table a great many times, and declared the association formally constituted. "'And don't let's have no grinning at the cheer, Samivel,' said Mr. Weller to his son, "'or I shall be committing you to the cellar, and then perhaps we may get into what the Americans call a fix, and the English a question of privileges.' Having uttered this friendly caution, the President settled himself in his chair with great dignity, and requested that Samuel would relate an anecdote. "'I've told one,' said Sam. "'Very good, sir. Tell another,' returned the chair." "'We was a-talkin' just now, sir,' said Sam, turning to Slithers, "'about barbers. Pursuin' that ere fruitful theme, sir, "'I'll tell you, in a wery few words, "'a romantic little story about another barber "'as perhaps you may never have heard.' "'Samivel,' said Mr. Weller, "'again bringing his watch and the table into smart collision, "'address your observations to the chair "'and not to private individuals.' 
"'And if I might rise to order,' said the barber, in a soft voice, and looking round him with a conciliatory smile, as he leant over the table, with the knuckles of his left hand resting upon it, "'if I might rise to order, I would suggest that barbers is not exactly the kind of language which is agreeable and soothing to our feelings. You, sir, will correct me if I am wrong, but I believe there is such a word in the dictionary as hairdressers.' "'Well, but suppose he wasn't a hairdresser,' suggested Sam. "'Why, then, sir, be parliamentary and call him von all the more,' returned his father. "'In the same way as every gentleman in another place is a honourable, every barber in this place is a hairdresser. Vin you read the speeches in the papers and see as one gentleman says of another, the honourable member, if he will allow me to call him so?' You will understand, sir, that that means if he will allow me to keep up that ere pleasant and universal fiction. It is a common remark, confirmed by history and experience, that great men rise with the circumstances in which they are placed. Mr. Weller came out so strong in his capacity of chairman that Sam was for some time prevented from speaking by a grin of surprise, which held his faculties enchained and at last subsided in a long whistle of a single note nay the old gentleman appeared even to have astonished himself and that to no small extent as was demonstrated by the vast amount of chuckling in which he indulged after the utterance of these lucid remarks here's the story said sam once upon a time there was a young hairdresser as opened a wery smart little shop with four wax dummies in the window two gentlemen and two ladies the gentlemen with blue dots for their beards wery large whiskers audacious heads of hair, uncommon clear eyes, and nostrils of amazing pinkness. The ladies with their heads on one side, their right forefingers on their lips, and their forms to well up beautiful, in which lost respect they had the advantage over the gentleman as wasn't allowed but wary little shoulder, and terminated rather abrupt in fancy drapery. He had also a many hair-brushes and tooth-brushes bottled up in the window, neat glass-cases on the counter, a floor-cloth cutting-room upstairs, and weighing machine in the shop right opposite the door. But the great attraction and ornament was the dummies, which this here young hairdresser was constantly a-running out in the road to look at, and constantly a-running in again to touch up and polish. In short, he was so proud on em that when Sunday came he was always wretched and miserable to think they was behind the shutters, and looked anxiously for Monday on that account. One of these dummies was a favourite with him beyond the others, and when any of his acquaintance asked him why he didn't get married, as the young ladies he knowed in particular often did, he used to say, never. I never will enter into the bonds of wedlock, he says, until I meet with a young woman as realises my idea of that ere fairest dummy with the light hair. Then, and not till then, he says, I will approach the altar. All the young ladies he knowed as had got dark hair told him that this was very sinful, and that he was worshipping a idol. But them as was at all near the same shade as the dummy coloured up very much, and was observed to think him a very nice young man. Samuel, said Mr. Weller gravely, a member of this association being one of that ere tender sex which is now immediately referred to, I have to request that you will make no reflections. I ain't a-making any, am I? inquired Sam. Order, sir, returned Mr. Weller with severe dignity. Then, sinking the chairman in the father, he added, in his usual tone of voice, Samuel, drive on. Sam interchanged a smile with the housekeeper and proceeded. 
The young hairdresser hadn't been in the habit o' making this avowal above six months, but he encountered a young lady as was the very picture of the fairest dummy. Now, he says, it's all up, I am a slave. The young lady was not only the picture of the fairest dummy, but she was very romantic as the young hairdresser was too, and he says, oh, he says, here's a community of feeling, here's a flow of soul, he says, here's a interchange of sentiment. The young lady didn't say much, of course, but she expressed herself agreeable, and shortly afterwards went to see him with a mutual friend. The hairdresser rushes out to meet her, but directly she sees the dummy she changes colour and falls a-trembling wildly. "'Look up, my love,' says the hairdresser. "'Behold your image in my window. Be not correcter than in my art.' "'My image,' he said, "'yawn,' replied the hairdresser. "'But whose image is that?' she says, appointing at one of the gentlemen. "'No one's, my love,' he says. "'It is but an idea.' "'A idea,' she cries. "'It is a portrait. I feel it is a portrait, and that ere noble face must be in the military.' "'What do I hear?' says he, a-crumpling his curls. "'William Gibbs,' she says, quite firm. "'Never renew the subject. I respect you as a friend,' she says, "'but my affections are set upon that manly brow. "'This,' says the hairdresser, "'is a regular blight, and in it I perceive the hands of fate. "'Farewell.' With these words, he rushes into the shop, breaks the dummy's nose with a blow of his curling irons, melts him down at the parlour fire, and never smiles afterwards. "'The young lady, Mr. Weller,' said the housekeeper. "'Why, ma'am,' said Sam, "'finding that fate had a spite again her, and everybody she come into contact with, she never smiled neither, but read a deal of poetry and pined away, by rather slow degrees, for she ain't dead yet.' It took a deal of poetry to kill the hairdresser, and some people say after all that it was more the gin and water as caused him to be run over. Perhaps it was a little of both, and came a mix in the two. The barber declared that Mr. Weller had related one of the most interesting stories that had ever come within his knowledge, in which opinion the housekeeper entirely concurred. "'Are you a married man, sir?' inquired Sam. The barber replied that he had not that honour. "'I suppose you mean to be,' said Sam. "'Well,' replied the barber, rubbing his hands smirkingly, "'I don't know. I don't think it's very likely.' "'That's a bad sign,' said Sam. "'If you'd said you meant to be one of these days, "'I should have looked upon you as being safe. "'You're in a very precarious state.' "'I am not conscious of any danger at all events,' returned the barber. "'No more was I, sir,' said the elder Mr. Weller, interposing. "'Those were my symptoms exactly. "'I been took that vey twice.' "'Keep your weather eye open, my friend, or you're gone.' There was something so very solemn about this admonition, both in its matter and manner, and also in the way in which Mr. Weller still kept his eye fixed upon the unsuspecting victim, that nobody cared to speak for some little time, and might not have cared to do so for some time longer, if the housekeeper had not happened to sigh, which called off the old gentleman's attention, and gave rise to a general inquire whether there was anything wary person in that air little heart. "'Dear me, Mr. Weller,' said the housekeeper, laughing. "'No, but is there anything as agitates it?' pursued the old gentleman. "'Has it always been obdurate, always opposed to the happiness of human creatures, eh, has it?' At this critical juncture, for her blushes and confusion, the housekeeper discovered that more ale was wanted, and hastily withdrew into the cellar to draw the same, followed by the barber, who insisted on carrying the candle. Having looked after her with a very complacent expression of face, and after him with some disdain, Mr. Weller caused his glance to travel slowly round the kitchen, until at length it rested on his son. 
"'Sammy,' said Mr. Weller, "'I mistrust that barber.' "'What for?' returned Sam. "'What's he got to do with you? "'You're a nice man, you are, "'after pretending all kinds of terror "'to go and paying compliments "'and talking about hearts and pierces.' The imputation of gallantry appeared to afford Mr. Weller the utmost delight, for he replied in a voice choked by suppressed laughter, and with the tears in his eyes, "'Was I a-talkin' about hearts and piercers? Was I, though, Sammy, eh? Was you? Of course you was. She don't know no better, Sammy. There ain't no harm in it. No danger, Sammy. She's only a punster. She seemed pleased, though, didn't she? Of course she was pleased. It's natural she should be. Very natural.' "'He's wine of it!' exclaimed Sam, joining in his father's mirth. "'He's actually wine!' "'Hush!' replied Mr. Weller, composing his features. "'They're a-comin' back. This little heart's a-comin' back. "'But mark these words o' mine once more, and remember em, "'vin your father says he said em. "'Samival, I mistrust that ere deceitful barber!' End of section 7